Amen, amen. Well, good morning. Everybody having a good time so far? All right. I am so excited today. We are starting a brand new series. Uh, we're going to walk through the book of John, the, the gospel according to John. Uh, and we're actually going to break it up into a few different series, uh, but it'll all be through the book of John. So this first one we're calling That You May Believe, the gospel according to John. We'll get to why it's called that in a minute. Uh, one of the things I'm excited about is uh, now Pastor Scott Yerka at the Central Fleming Island campus and I are synchronized in which passage we are teaching each Sunday morning. And so if you were in Fleming Island this morning, you would not hear the same sermon, but you would hear a sermon on the same passage. And so uh, that's exciting to me that we're getting to work together and do that. And so we've been texting back and forth and emailing back and forth as we've been studying and, and asking each other questions and pointing out things to each other, which uh, as a pastor, man, that's a whole lot of fun to do. Uh, and so I'm grateful for that. But also, I want to invite you, we're going to start something new tomorrow morning. Uh, at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning, those that want to be there and can be there, uh, What's Cooking, a little restaurant right here. We're going to meet there for breakfast. And if you want to dive in a little deeper into this passage from this morning that I'm going to preach out of, then we're going to do that together. Anybody that can be there at 7 o'clock in the morning at What's Cooking so we can kind of go even deeper than what I'm going to be able to do in my short time this morning. Because in my short time this morning, I'm going to attempt to give you an introduction to the book of John and go through the first five verses uh, all together. So we're going to go, if you've got your Bible, turn to the book of John. We're going to do the first five verses. If you don't know, if you're not familiar with the Bible and you don't know where the book of John is, I love to say it like this. If you'll just open your Bible to the middle, you'll probably open to Psalms or Proverbs or Isaiah. Then take a right, start going to your right, and the names will get really weird. And, uh, and as the names get weirder, just keep going to the right until the names get normal. Uh, and then when the names get normal, start slowing down. You're in the Gospels, and then you're going to go to the fourth one, the last one, John. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, very normal names. Uh, and so go past the weird names, get to the normal ones, <clears throat> and you'll find yourself in the Gospels. Book of John, stand with me, if you will, in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You may be seated again. Let's pray. God, as we dive into your word this morning, Lord, you are the word. Lord, let the the magnitude of this passage rest heavy on us this morning. Heavy in, in an exuberant celebration of our, of our soul and our heart that, that you are the word. And all that that means. Lord, let us focus on you more than anything else. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
So today's Father's Day, and so it always makes me, of course, think about my father. Uh, if you got the great pleasure of getting to know my father, you would understand a little more about me and why I'm a little bit crazy and say weird stuff. My dad is a good old boy from the foothills of the Ozarks in Arkansas, and, um, <clears throat> and he has a lot of good old boy wisdom. My dad has a funny way of saying things that I call popisms. I call my dad pops, and we call him popisms, and my friends always used to love and come over and hang out with my dad because he's really funny, but he's also really wise at the same time. And so just a couple of popisms for you. Uh, my dad says this, so hold on, ladies, don't get mad at the first part of the sentence. It gets better for you. My dad, my, this, this is a popism. All women are crazy. But, heard an amen out there. Get ready, get ready. You're coming next. And all men are idiots. <laughs> so me and my wife say it like this. If you're trying to decide if it's the person you're supposed to marry, guys, you just got to find the crazy you're willing to live with for the rest of your life. Because she's not going to get less crazy. And ladies, you gotta, you got to find the kind of idiot you can live with for the rest of your life. Because he's not going to get any smarter. My dad says a lot of crazy things like that and a lot of great sayings. But then he can also be very serious. I remember when we had trip walking on the golf course with my dad. Golf is something me and my dad enjoyed together growing up. And, and I remember asking my dad, Dad, how do, I, how do I raise a son and make sure that he's a man? And my dad said, you don't really have to teach him anything. You've just got to be one. And he's going to want to be just like you. And it made me think about the passage this morning where it tells us that Jesus is the word. Because Jesus is the word in word and deed. Jesus is the message that God has for us. He is the beginning and the end. He is the most important thing. One of the things that's so significant about the book of John is it's such a heavy focus on Christ. See, I love in the book of John and the other gospels, what you need to understand is the other three gospels are called the synoptic gospels. There's, a, there's some differences about the book of John that, that are, are significant to it. One is that in the synoptics, they all kind of follow the same pattern. And, 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 and really, most scholars think there's probably some building off of it and taken from each other. And, and so there's an order in which they were written, and they all kind of wrote off of each other. John was the last one to be written. And one of the things I love about John is he realizes that for the disciples, it took years of being with Jesus to really get to know who he was. Right? If you follow the story of the disciples, they didn't really get it towards the end, did they? And so John doesn't want us to have to do that. So John comes right out of the gate with something that we would all know in the beginning. And the other things, uh, and he taught, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So automatically, in the first verse, in the first sentence, he's letting us know who this is. And also understand, this is an eyewitness account. This is, this is John, the, the beloved disciple, that, that reclined on Jesus' chest. This is John that did life with Jesus. This is an eyewitness account. This is written for believers and for non-believers. Some ways that it's unique from the, distinct from the synoptic gospels is John leaves out a lot of stuff that's in the synoptics. John leaves out the temptation of Jesus. He leaves out Jesus' transfiguration. 
the, the, the giving of bread and wine at the Lord's Supper. There's no stories of casting out of demons in the book of John. He leaves out the Sermon on the Mount. He leaves out the Lord's Prayer. There's no narrative parables. There's none of the parables. There's, there's metaphorical stories, but none of the parables. Uh, he leaves out the nativity story. He leaves out, uh, well, he doesn't leave out, he never calls his mother by the name Mary. Uh, he leaves out her name. He uh, leaves out Jesus' baptism. We'll talk more about that next week. He leaves out the ascension. But then there's also things that are exclusive to the Gospel of John. There are things that only he has. Uh, chapters 2 through 4, all of that is pretty much exclusive to John. The resurrection of Lazarus, Jesus' farewell disclosure, his last remarks uh, towards the end there. There's a, somewhat of a different chronology. Uh, John the Baptist makes a, a public proclamation of Jesus as the Son of God in the Gospel of John that he doesn't make in the others. Uh, and it's a more of a focus on, on Jesus. The woman at the well is exclusive to the Gospel of John. And some people call the Gospel of John the Gospel of Conversations. There is 24 conversations with 17 different people in the Gospel of John. So why does John do this? Why does John tell the story from a different perspective than the other three? Well, turn, turn just several chapters over. John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, and we see the purpose of this book. And he kind of lets us know why he does things a little bit different. John 20, 30 through 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. In other words, there's a lot of stuff that happened that I didn't put in here. But these are written so that you, so in other words, a lot of stuff in here, a lot of stuff's not in here uh, that, that I could have written, but the ones that I did write, they're in here so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. This is why we call this series that you may believe. Now, here's something I want you to understand. If you've been a follower of Christ for some time, you may think, Jimbo, I, I accepted the gospel a long time ago. Let's move into meatier things. Let's move into deeper things. That would be a great mistake. Here's what I want you to understand. You never grow beyond the gospel. The gospel is not the A to B of theology. It is the A to Z. The gospel is everything that matters. It's everything that's important. And listen, as you dive into the gospel, you cannot fully explore the depths of the gospel. One of the things I love about the book of John is it's written for believers and non-believers. And here's one of the ways we see that. It's so simple that you could hand it to a brand new believer and they can read the book of John and they can get who Jesus is. Yet at the same time, for people who have been scholars for decades, it's so deep and so rich that they could never fully explore all that is in there. Both at the same time. Listen, we don't grow beyond the gospel. We just grow deeper into the gospel. That's what happens. Is that me buzzing? Let's uh, 
Let's mute everything but me. Maybe we'll get rid of that. All right, so let's start looking at the verses then. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning. Now, obviously, that's reminiscent of what? When it says in the beginning, what is that reminding us of? Genesis, right? Genesis 1.1. Let's read Genesis 1.1. If you, go, if you were to turn back to the very beginning of your Bible, you can see. In the, I'm going to go through a lot of passages, so if you don't want to flip with me, that's fine. I can give you my notes. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But it's also reminiscent of another book that John wrote, 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, he says this. That which was from the beginning, I love this, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our own hands concerning the word of life. If you were to look forward into verse 14 of chapter 1, you'd see that the word becomes flesh. When it says the word, it's talking about Jesus, that he is the word. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But in 1 John 1, 1 here, we see that we, John talks about how the Word, we've seen Him with our eyes, we've looked upon Him, we've touched Him with our hands. Think about that for a second. The God of the universe, who created everything, all things were created in Him, through Him, for Him, They got to shake his hand. They got to eat supper with him. They got to sit around the campfire. They got to lean against his chest. The God of the universe. That's what John's saying here. He wants you to be blown away a little bit by this. And listen, when we're not blown away by this, we're missing it. There's one thing I know for sure more than anything else in this world. When you fully encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will affect you. It will change you. You cannot encounter Jesus and leave unchanged. It can't happen. It's impossible. He's the God of the universe. And this is who John is talking about. Colossians. We were just in Colossians. Colossians 1, 16 through 20. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He created it all. he's, He's a part of the whole thing. In other words, here's what we need to understand. The book of Genesis, when it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It starts at the point that time was created and moves forward. Now, at the beginning of the the gospel, according to John here, John starts from the beginning and then goes backwards to pre-existence is what we call it, to pre-time. Well, we've got to understand, this is a big deal. Time is a created thing. God created time. And so people want to ask the question, if everything has a creator, then who created God? 
Well, he was created before the need to be created was created. He created that need. He created time. He created all the laws of nature that we live by didn't exist. He created all of those. Time, nature, gravity, everything. Don't believe me? John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I could go on and on and on. Jesus is the word. Jesus created the world. He was the creating agent part of that before time even existed. Now, this is key. The book of John is is unique in so many things. And one of the things it's so unique in is its blatant, explicit proclamation that Jesus is God. A lot of scholars like to argue against the book of John because they feel that if they could get rid of the book of John, then maybe they could get rid of these explicit claims that Jesus is God. As a matter of fact, some people mistranslate the the, the first verse here. And so let's read verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, some people will tell you, Jehovah's Witnesses in particular, We'll tell you that, that that's a mistranslation, that it should say the word was a God. Now, I'll tell you this. They're not making up that a. There, there's, a there's an argument that can be made. It's not arbitrary. They didn't just come up with, hey, let's put an a there. But it's a misinterpretation of how the Greek language works that they've come up with that a. So here's the problem is there's no definite article before God there. And there normally should be a definite article. And so... Uh, I'm not going to get into all of it for you. I'm just going to tell you that really what it actually is communicating is more than we even see here in the English. More than it just saying that Jesus was God, it actually communicates by its lack of a definite article through a thing called Caldwell's Rule. Through all that, here's what it communicates in the English. Here's all you need to know. You can ignore everything else about that. What it's saying in the Greek is that Jesus not only is God, but he also has distinctions from the Father and the Spirit. This is a Trinitarian statement. Now, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But so often we have things just like this that point to where it says with God. It speaks to at least dualism, if not Trinitarianism. And we know it's Trinitarianism, not dualism, right? We know that it is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And where it's missing this definite article, it's written in such a way to communicate that while he is God, he has distinctive Things from He's distinct from the Father. He is distinct from the Spirit, yet He is also God. There's so much in this missing definite article that is communicated when you look at the Greek correctly. So now, next time a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door, you just break out Caldwell's rule and, and, and bring out your Greek New Testament, and you can, uh, you can debate them, right? Don't do that. It's not going to get you anywhere. But we do see... I, I wanted to tell you that because I want you to understand... Uh, that there, there is some power in this, and that there is no a God there. It's that he, the Word was God, and that there are distinct features of each part of the Trinity. Let's keep moving. Uh, waiting on a Word. Before we get there, a couple of things I, I like to say about the book of John. Uh, Tennyson said this, It is the highest adventure of religious thought attained by the mind of man. 
an old philosopher uh, quoted somebody else. We're not really sure who said it, but they said that these first five, well, actually first 18 verses are worthy to have been penned in letters of gold. Uh, Martin Luther said that if a tyrant were to come and successfully destroy all of the Bible, but leave only the book of John and the book of Romans, Christianity would survive just fine. This is an important, important book. Waiting on a word. Why does, why does John call him the word? There's so many things you could call Jesus, and it's kind of a weird thing to call him the word. The Greek word is logos. Why would he call him logos? Why would he choose that word to communicate Jesus? I want to look at a couple of verses, and then I'm going to try to explain to you. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So we see there again that Jesus created the world. God created the world through Jesus. He was part of that. He didn't exist when Mary gave birth to him. He existed way before creation existed. We also see that basically what the author of Hebrews here is telling us that long ago God spoke through the prophets, but now the word of God is Jesus. He is the word of God. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one come to the Father except through me. He doesn't say I am the messenger of truth. He says, I am the truth. I think there's several reasons here why John chose the word logos. One is a cultural reason. There was, in, in Greek culture and in Hebrew culture, and understand that John's writing to both. He wants the Hebrew culture to understand what he's saying, and he wants the Greek culture to understand what he's saying. And in Hebrew culture, uh, there are some people who would say... Uh, instead of Son of God, they, they, had this, they chose the word basically for logos, for word that they would use. And they would use this. In Greek culture, a lot of philosophers called logos meant more than just word. It meant the reason by which all things are in order. And so, in other words, it, to them it was this philosophical force out there, this, this mystical force out there that made things run the way that they run, Right? And there's this Gnostic, we talked about this in Colossians, this kind of Gnostic view that spiritual things are the only things that are true and right, and then physical things that we can touch really don't matter. Which is why it's so key that John uses this out of their Gnostic beliefs, but then later says, and then the Word became flesh. Because they don't, they don't like that. The Gnostics would not like that idea of the Word becoming flesh because God would never become flesh because flesh isn't good, according to Gnostics. And so he's all at the same time, and you'll see this throughout the book of John, oftentimes when John makes interesting word choices, it's guaranteed he has about three different meanings to that word every time. John loves to give words with several meanings on purpose. And this is one of those. that He says that he's the logos because of the Greek philosophical view, because of the ancient Hebrew view, and, and because he is the word, he is the message of God and the word becomes flesh. He also we see in verse 4 is the life. If you read verse 4, 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John eight twelve. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what does the light do? Let's continue to verse 5. The light defeats the darkness. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, instead of overcome, does anybody that's reading along, do you have a different word there? Comprehend. Now, there's a lot of different words that you could use here. I, I actually think overcome or overtake might be the better translation here. Uh, and here's why. is There's a couple of different ways you could translate this word, but if you look at the only other time that John uses this word, it's, it's very much so talking about overtaking. And what it's saying here is the light has never been defeated by darkness, ever. And it never will be. At no point when Jesus was on the cross and he died, the darkness didn't win. At no point did real victory occur for the darkness. And also think about this. Light was created. Darkness perhaps has always existed because what is darkness but the absence of light? Darkness is the absence of light. And darkness cannot overcome light. Even, even in just in the real world. You, if it were completely pitch black in here and you were to turn a lighter on or a flashlight, the darkness can't overcome that light, can it? And so I think overtake or overcome is the better translation there of that word. John 1, nine, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. John 3.19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Sometimes, sometimes we choose darkness. I don't, I don't know why. And I say we, not you. Sometimes we choose darkness because we love the world. But yet the light conquers. John twelve thirty five. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. This is the other, only other time that John uses this word in the Greek for overtake, comprehend. Uh, and so comprehend doesn't make sense there. Uh, overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. In life, we can either choose to walk by the light or we can choose to walk in the darkness. But understand that when we walk in the darkness, we have no idea where we're going. And it's not that when you walk in the light, you get to know exactly what's going to happen a month from now, a year from now, or even tomorrow. But what does the Bible say? The Word of God is a lamp unto our feet. It doesn't say unto a mile ahead of us so that we can see everything that's coming. But it's a lamp unto our feet. In the darkness, I don't know if I'm about to walk off a ledge here. I have no idea if I'm, if I'm about to step off into something in the darkness. But if the light is on my feet, I can at least see the stairs, right? The light triumphs. Let's look at how we know that the light triumphs. We're going to walk backwards real fast. So we see in verse 5 that the light triumphs, right? We see in, in verse 5 the light is never overtaken by the darkness, that the light triumphs. 
look at verse 4 again. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so the light of life is, is, is the light. And so it's a living, active, breathing, growing light. In, in verse 12, 36, it says that we become sons of the light. And so this is a living, active light that reproduces sons of the light. So we then get to be the light of Christ in other people's lives. And that life that we get from Christ is the light. And so part of the reason that light cannot be overcome is because it is living and active. The word of God is living and active. It is life. In verse 3, we see that the life is the life of the creator. And understand this. Created things can never overpower created people. I mean, the, the created things can never overcome the creator. That's what I meant to say. Created things can never overcome the creator. Now, you may go, what about the creator of the atom bomb? He creates the atom bomb, the atom bomb can overtake him. Well, here's the difference. Jesus didn't, when he created the world, take things that existed and make something. When the guy who made the atom bomb made it, he made it. He didn't create it. What's the difference? Well, he took things that were already in existence, laws that were created by God that were already in existence, objects that were already in existence. He put them together in such a way that they could overpower him. He didn't out of thin air. In Genesis, it's ex nihilio. It's, it's out of nothing. Out of nothing, he created the world. So when you create something out of nothing, if you can do that, let me know. I'm pretty sure you can't. But when you do that, it cannot overcome you. Created things can never overcome the Creator. So why is the light always triumphant? Because God is the light, and He is the Creator of the light. As we look into the book of John, the most important thing we can understand about this gospel according to John is Jesus is the word becoming flesh. John writes everything through this view of Jesus being God. And so when you study the book of John, don't first and foremost look for a personal application. So often we want a personal application of things that we can do. And I think we can certainly find some personal applications in this. But your first search should not be for personal application. Your first search should be, who does this say that Jesus is? That's what John's trying to communicate. In every passage, in every section of John, he's talking about who Jesus is. It's why he wrote it so differently, so, so differently than the other Gospels, is he had one message for you, that Jesus is the Son of God here to save you. John 3.16, say it for me. Exactly. This is the story of the Gospel of John. It's the story of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus' love for us. It's the story of Jesus' preeminence. It's that Jesus is the light. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the creator of all things. And all things are created through Him and for Him, for His glory. And we get to be a part of that. 
So it's not about us. It's not about how we're supposed to live. It's not a personal application book. It's a book about Jesus, but we get to be a part of his story. And so as we take a time and a moment to respond, some questions you should ask yourself. As we've studied the passage this morning is, who does this mean that Jesus is? In my life, who is Jesus? Is he the word in my life? Is he the message by which I live? Am I a son of the light like John 12, 36 talks about? Am I a little light of Jesus? Do I shine the light of Jesus in my life? Am I abiding in the vine that is Jesus? Am I living life rooted in the gospel? Or did I just accept the gospel at one point and then tried to move on from there? You can't move on. You can only move deeper. Let's pray.